The Incomparable Podcast, Episode 12, November 2010. We're back on the Incomparable Podcast uh, after a, a little brief mini hiatus because um, I was lazy. I'm Jason Snell. Um, I am your host today, and joining me are three uh, repeaters, as we call them in the business. I think the Ghostbusters called them repeaters when the ghosts would come back. Um, these repeating phantasms are John Syracusa. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, Serenity Caldwell. Ren, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Jason? I am awake and alive and vertical, and that's all I can, uh, you know, hope for really at this point in my life. Pretty good because I'm an old man, and uh, it really goes without saying that Dan Morin is also <laughs> on this podcast. I'm thinking we should call it the. Uh, I think this edition should be uh, the incomparable after dark. <laughs> it is. We're recording this later than usual. Much later. That's right. We're at the Playboy Mansion and. Uh, <laughs> Sadly, sadly, we're at our homes, alone, with only a microphone for comfort. That's basically every night for me. <laughs> really, do you fall asleep with cradling your microphone? <laughs> it's a blue snowball. It's really, it's very, it's very comforting. I'm cradling. Oh, I'm my, holding back the jokes. <laughs> I'm cradling my blue snowball right now. In fact, <laughs> you know that's sturdier if you go, "Hey, <laughs> but I didn't. Uh, I was trying to hold back because I'm above that. Uh, yeah, we'll fix it. In, we'll fix it in post. Yeah, I'll mm-hmm. edit that right out. Like I edited out that thirty seconds of silence in the last podcast. <laughs> I plan. On, I plan on trying to subtly stretch out my silences every episode until we actually get to an episode which I have like thirty-five minutes of silence. I think it's telling that um, you basically stopped talking and nobody noticed. Yeah, but apparently you didn't keep talking either, did you? <laughs> well, no, we were really focused on what you weren't saying. Obviously, it's the subtle nuances of what I don't say that's it, really the most important. The spaces between the words, really, that are most important. Yes, I learned that from Harold Pinter. Hmm. Speaking of Harold Pinter, no, actually, <laughs> thank God. Our really, topic. I, that, make that, that segue into Josh. Yes, Harold, Harold, Harold Pinter is our topic today. No, that <laughs> the is anti Harold Pinter. That is a very yes. different podcast. Yes, we are going to talk about Joss Whedon today, and now you know I, I find it interesting. He actually. Is an interesting, uh, interesting figure because he has a hardcore fan base um, that, quite frankly, I'm often embarrassed to be associated with. In the sense that I think that he's uh, quite good and has done some of the best uh, TV that's been made, and yet um, the the fans are so rabid that I'm actually a little embarrassed sometimes to admit that yes, I I do think. Do you ever find Buffy is a- like? Go ahead. Is there like a you ever find a corollary between as and I, you know not that I necessarily want to delve too much into our uh, you know professional lives but do you ever find a corollary between being associated as a Joss Whedon fan and being associated as an Apple fan because you know, honestly I think I, there's I think it's very similar in many ways uh, people accuse you of being like a cultist that's tr- that's true I find um, I find Apple fans to generally be less crazy than Joss Whedon fans. But there's no opposition for Whedon fans, though, right? Like, if you're an Apple fan, there's an opposition. There's always been an opposition. It was the PC guys, now it's the Android guys, right? There's no, there's no anti-Whedon, right? There, well, no, there's like, people the, who don't like his stuff. I mean, that's the thing. It's like there's people who don't like him. It's not people who yeah, are championing something it's, it's else. It's more like it's more like apathy. It's like apathy. Like they don't care. No, about there him are people. Or there are people who are who are actively. Who, who doesn't like him? Yeah, but there's no. I know. Like, I know. I don't buy it. But it's. It. I think it's the yeah. same sort of knee jerk. Like if anybody, if it, if they t- talk about it this much, and like 
hype it up that much, it can't be good. And so they just take the knee-jerk reaction that it must suck. Well, but it's I not the same as there's no, there's no, like, Moss Bleeding who has a show <laughs> on an alternate that, network. That guy. But, like, up, that sucks. Up against but they he accepts any show, though. They don't curate it at all. Just any show that he makes gets on the air. Yeah, I know. Moss Bleeding and his... Uh, what, else, Larry, what else is on it? Friday what? nights at 9 o'clock. The Larry, Joss Larry the Zombie uh, Killer. Larry the no Zombie Killer. Show, no one gave that show a chance. It was underrated. Mm. So, so Joss Whedon... Um, Interesting, you know, he started out, he, he really made his name with Buffy the Vampire Slayer um, on the WB network, which is uh, dead as a vampire now. And uh, although I think they still have a website. <laughs> Isn't that nice? I yeah. mean, vampires are undead. That's so true. I think the, the, the WB is technically deader than that. Well, it's no, risen have... again into the CW, so it's kind of undead. It's like a shell of its former self. So, so And then he went on to a Buffy spinoff, Angel. And uh, just to recap the career, and then from there, he uh, he created um, a short-lived Fox uh, sci-fi series called Firefly, which spawned a, a movie uh, sort of wrap-up called Serenity. Hmm. Yes. Interesting. We can all make the obligatory joke now. Um, and then, um, and then I, I have to remind myself. Then he made a show on Fox called Dollhouse, which oh, um, don't don't forget uh, Doctor Horrible too in there. And and yes, Doctor Horrible single on blog the the hour long kind of web special uh, musical, which was uh, I thought was excellent. So so lots lots of stuff, and now he's sort of uh, doing uh, doing film, and he's done some comics. He's uh, Buffy season eight, uh, the uh, what was it, Astonishing X Men? Um, yeah, I think so. Some other stuff like that. So he's all over the place. He's currently, I think, writing and directing the um, Avengers movie uh, for Marvel, which and is- he wrote. Cabin in the Woods, which is coming out, the weird horror, but not a horror. I think they're going Rainy-esque with it, is the rumor. I don't know much about it. I don't follow horror movies, but... Yes, we'll ask our horror movie uh, guys about that one when it comes out. And, of course, we were talking earlier, um, if you go back before Buffy, and, of course, there was a Buffy movie in the early 90s, with which Christy he was Swanson. involved with. Um, he also had a pretty good career as a script doctor in Hollywood. Indeed. And worked on yeah. Toy, Toy Story, Story right? X-Men, um, Aliens 4. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you know, there are some good and some bad. Well, he, tell, he tells some good stories about... There are some good stories about, about Alien 4. How the, yeah, Alien Resurrection was uh, how he hated the director, and the director kept changing things that made no sense and then would go to him and say okay now i need to you to change this other scene so it makes sense again and he'd be like i can't yeah. it's it's a good thing it's a good thing that guy didn't go on to do anything else mm. oh wait um yeah in fact uh, toy story uh he got an oscar nomination because he's credited for the screenplay for that although i don't know how much of that work was actually his in the end because that's such a huge uh, sort right. of factory. I, although I know that the line "We need more monkeys" as they're unspooling the barrel of monkeys, I believe that was his. As was "Wind the Frog," uh, and I think of the X Men lines, he is responsible for one of my favorite lines in that entire movie, which is the scene where uh, where Wolverine, uh, you know, they're wandering around and they've got the shapeshifter among them, and Cyclops says to Wolverine, "Wait, how do I know you're the wol- real Wolverine?" And Wolverine says, "You're a dick." <laughs> And he goes, okay. <laughs> this is a great line. <laughs> yeah. So so uh, what's interesting here is that we've got, I think, two people who are late converts to uh, being interested in Joss Whedon, and that's Ren and John. And then Dan and I um, kind of start further back. Dan, did you watch uh, Buffy when it was originally on? 
Um, I think I picked up watching it regularly in about season three. I start. I mean, I saw intermittently. I saw seasons one and two, a few episodes here and there, but I don't think I really uh, sort of full fledged took off into it until about season three. Um, and then I went back later, of course, and, and backfilled. And I've seen. I think I've seen the entire series. I may have missed an episode in season seven here or there, but I'm pretty sure I've seen the entire thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I remember, um, I actually was home. My wife was taking a class and so she was, she wasn't going to be home till late. And I, I was at home and, and uh, I turned on the TV and, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer was on. I didn't even intend to watch it. Uh, and that was a long time ago now. And I started watching it and it was the two hour pilot and just by luck. And I watched, I started about 20 minutes in and yeah, it was I, a um, it was a mid season in '97. Yeah, they they shot the first thirteen episodes, I think, that whole yeah. first season before any of them aired because it aired in January, I think. Yep. And um, so they didn't know what would happen, and they it, they figured it would probably just run and then be done. So that's one of the reasons why what became sort of a trademark for Joss Whedon is that he actually kind of had closure at the end of his seasons instead of cliffhangers, which I think with Buffy, which was really interesting. Um, but I, I got to the end of it, and then I picked my wife up at the train station after her she was getting back from her class, and I said, you know, I watched this Buffy the Vampire show, and it was actually it was good and uh and that was it we actually rewatched the pilot and she watched it for the first time when they replayed it over the weekend and um surprisingly intelligent show and um you know i i will you know i'll fight for that show as one of the best shows ever made actually i i i think that's a fantastic piece of work although in the end it's got some real ups and downs as it went along i think that um the first season is really low budget they're finding their feet um it was all shot on like um i think the first two seasons were shot on 16 millimeter film so they're really kind of grainy and the Mm. special effects are cheap and uh but the writing is really sharp the second season the drama the whole buffy and angel thing is really ratchet that up so powerful and such a great ending where she sacrifices him um, and yeah, then he comes back and he gets his own show and whatever. Um, <laughs> that that second season's still pretty amazing. I do feel like the fifth season of Buffy, um, it ends with her dying. She sacrifices herself to save her sister, and that uh, was supposed to sort of be a potential ending because I guess the show was there was some chance that it was not going to get picked up. Well, I think I think it was always going to come back, but there was some. Um, question about it because that was it actually their contract was up after five years and in the end it moved to another network for its last two years to upn which ended up getting sucked into that the cw afterlife as well eventually um so uh you know i i the last two seasons with the exception of that wonderful um, musical episode i think the last two seasons of buffy are kind of forgettable to the point where i almost prefer to think of that last as terrible as it is to say, I like it when Buffy died at the end. I kind of <laughs> liked that. I, I thought that was kind of. It was fitting. a good. It was a good uh, cap piece to the entire story, and I think the sixth season really struggles. And I mean, both in the terms of the plot, which itself is about her struggling with coming back, and in terms of and the having show sex itself. with Spike. Yes, I mean there are there are some ups and downs. I agree that um, I think the sixth season, the second half of the back end of the sixth season, is probably. Uh, I thought it was really good. I really enjoyed it. And that was one that I had not seen that for a long time. I actually ended up watching that only uh, four or five years ago because I had missed. I think that was that was the season to transition the UPN. And then we lost the UPN. And uh, I was in college then. And we, we just misplaced no longer, it somewhere. 
No, it didn't. We didn't get it. That was the thing. It wasn't. It was not available in up, in rural upstate New York, unfortunately, unless you had a satellite dish. And so for a little while, we had somebody, uh, someone's friend's parents lived in the area, and they had a satellite dish. So they were taping it and giving it to us. Why and didn't you just download that it? Sort of, that was not really an option at that point. <laughs> wow, that was those were the days. Yeah, so, nine had, had nine you, years ago, ten Jason, years ago. Jason, had you seen the movie? Before you saw the series? I had not seen the movie before I saw the series. And then I, at, one, at some point I, I went back and I watched the movie and I was horrified at how yeah. terrible it was. You know, you? I will I will actually defend it. I don't think it's a ter- I don't think it's that terrible movie. It is not the show. It is clearly not the show. I think as a as a sort of cult movie, I think it's got a lot going for it, but it is very, very different from the show. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean and I think Joss Whedon was really disappointed in it just because he was going for he was going for a different kind of vibe. He was going for that kind yeah. of kind of comedy allegory thing and they were uh, they were going a little cheesier and a little Yeah, campier. it's very campy. There's not there's not much drama in it, if any. Um but it's still got it's you know it's still mildly it's still amusing it's still an entertaining sort of cult movie i mean uh paul rubens is in it um it has i don't know i really like him in that movie it's pretty great rutger Hauer is in it too and donald sutherland it's got a good cast buffy was one of the first shows that um for genre shows um if not the first that i ever experienced where it had um uh just incredible uh, appeal with women who i knew um that you know, a lot of the sci-fi shows, you know, outer space shows and spaceship shows, it was a definitely a mostly guy thing. Um, and with Buffy, uh, not I think not just because of the female protagonist, but I think because of a lot of the the um, I mean, a lot of strong women characters and a, long, a lot of strong messages about women. Um, that it, it, I mean, there's more of this now than I think there was back when Buffy was was first premiering, where where you saw a genre show that actually had that appeal to women. Um, Ren, have you watched much Buffy after the fact, or are you more of just... Well, it's actually, it's kind of amusing, because the first episode, I've seen four Buffy episodes to date, I think, and the first, yeah, I know, I'm, it's been on my to-watch list for years, and I've just never gotten around to it, but the first Buffy episode I ever saw was the season five finale, of all things. (laughs) (laughs) So she dies at the end. Yeah. Well, they did that. That episode has like a clip package that does like the first. If you ever, if you see it in like full form, they have a clip package that recaps the first five seasons, like yes. everything to date. Which is, there you go. You're all cut up. What more do you no, need? No, it's true. I mean, it it made a fair amount of sense considering the fact that I was coming into the show knowing nothing about it, other than presumably there's a girl named Buffy who slays vampires. Uh, but I mean, the little I saw, I've seen that. I've seen the musical episode, and I've seen a couple of scattered episodes that I can't remember off off the top of my head. But I mean, I, it always struck me as an intriguing show and it never like, it was always like on the bubble for me where it was, maybe I'd like this show if I gave it a chance, but I don't have the time right now. And there are so many more interesting things to be watching. And then it just kind of get kept on getting pushed back and back. But I'm, I'm curious to finally like, now that once once we get into November hiatus uh, for current television and I can go back to watching back-end television, it's on my list. But, I mean, I think it's interesting overall. Joss Whedon has really made a name for himself in strong female characters and strong female writing, going back to what you were saying, Jason. I mean, that's that's always something. I mean, he, he's been a personal champion about, you know, girls should kick ass and girls should have their own personal messages, um, both in his shows and also championing it into like stuff that he works with, which I find fascinating, really. 
Yeah, absolutely. He's one also one of the first names that I ever associated with. You know, it was at the point of my life where I was like, I watched a few television shows and you don't really know who's behind them necessarily when you're like a teenager or whatever. You're just like, oh, that show is maybe that show's funny. But he was one of the first people like creative talents that I started following because I thought this show is so good. I need to see what else this guy has done. Right. Who is this guy? And and he became, you know, one of those named showrunner people where you're like, I want to, it's a show by that guy. Oh, that yeah. guy. Yeah. And of course that's expanded over the years, but I think he was really for me, one of the first people that I was like, that's a guy, you know, I want to follow everything that he does. Well, you just watch the credits and you'd see these episodes written by Joss Whedon, who is the creator of the show. And you're like, oh, okay, this guy's interesting. And then suddenly he starts directing episodes that he's written. And the ones that he's written and directed are like these, you know, special episodes that have different things about them, like um, Hush, the episode that has a 35-minute period where there's no spoken dialogue because everybody yes. loses their voices. And, and one, sort of, of, one of the, or my argument for the three best, there are three episodes to me that totally stand out from that show. Go for it. Um, which are the best sort of scary episode, which I think is Hush. Yes, I watched it on Halloween, actually. Actually, it gave me nightmares on more than one occasion. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of a Dark City ripoff, the, the, but who cares? The gentle, but the gentlemen are ter- truly, really scary. Um, uh, Once More with Feeling. The musical episode, yeah. The musical episode, which is fantastic. And then the best dramatic episode of the entire series is The Body. Oh, the uh, the one where... Uh, I, I hate to say anything about it just because I yes, feel we like... we would have to fire the totally... spoiler horn. Let's not even do it. It, no, but I'll just say that it is one of the most moving, sort of like emotional hours hmm. on television. Set in the morgue. I did not think that I did not think that like television was necessarily capable of evoking. But I watched that. It came out when I was living in Scotland, studying abroad, and um, like we had a I had a friend who was getting tapes sent of the sh- the episodes that were airing, and so they sent it to us. And I remember watching it on a little tiny like like nine inch television that I had borrowed from my friend, like nine inch television VCR combo sitting in my room by myself, like, like tearing up just because it was so emotional. It's just, I never, I don't think even since then I've run into an episode of television that has made me do that. That was a written and directed by, and that episode also had uh, no music. That was yes. the, that was the thing that, so there's a musical episode and then there's the episode where there is no music and the episode with no sound, which is the only episode I think that was ever given an Emmy for writing. <laughs> which the, yeah. Yeah. Uh, unfortunate. No dialogue. Yeah. Um, I, I guess the, the episode that always comes to mind for me, although the, that climax of season two really hits it for me is there's an episode. And again, I'm not going to file off the uh, fire off the spoiler horn. Um, we did mention Buffy dies at the end of season yeah, five. You already, you already said she died at the end of season five, which well, I didn't know. And then so there are two now, more seasons. Now you're worried so, about the spoiler so, horn. So put that together. Right? Right. And there are two more yeah. seasons. They're flashbacks. Yeah, she's she's not in the last two seasons. No, it's very confusing. That's why it wasn't as good. They, sw- they switched to uh, Doggett the Buffy so, uh, yeah. the vampires yeah. there. Right? That's right. Doggett and Reyes, the vampire uh, agents. Um, that's a whole other podcast. So um, there's an episode in the ooh, second season in the kind of angel arc um, uh, called Passion, which is the episode, again, without getting into too many details, is the episode where you really realize that Joss Whedon, and and this has become a thing with him, but this was the first time where you realize Joss Whedon is not afraid to have regular characters on his show murder, murder, permanent, murder, dead, dead other characters on his show regular characters because one of the characters in the cast brutally murders another one and the ramifications go 
for the rest of the series. Uh, brilliant. I mean, I know it sounds terrible, but the way it's done, um, it, it, it's uh, it, that was the moment where I was like, okay, this guy, this guy is doing great work, not just good work, but yeah. great I think work. The only other show that I've seen that carries that to such an extent is possibly um, the FX show, The Shield, which has something terrible happen in the first episode that literally lasts the entire seven seasons. Like, as, this is an undercurrent all the way to the end. No. But, like, yeah, Joss Whedon does a great job of... And he, not only is he not afraid to kill people, he's not afraid to, like, have things change. You know, this is the point at which you realize this is not just a, like, formulaic every week there's a there's a monster and they fight off a monster and that's the end. Like, bad stuff happens and, you know, he, he, the characters are rarely happy for any length of time. Right, and and there's a, um, you know, they, they progress through high school and college and out into the real world, which is a kind of a nice, they don't try to pretend that the high school has gone on for eight years. Um, although there is, you, you mentioned The Shield, the first episode of Buffy, there is a character who is par- played by Eric Balfour. And again, I, I, I'm not going to fire off the spoiler horn here. Uh, but let me just say, Eric Balfour, he's not in the show. He's only in the pilot. Um, but he's played, the way that he's played is that he um, he's part of the cast, <laughs> essentially. And then they kill him. Um, which is great, because it's that moment where you're like, you know, there are these three sidekicks and only two of them make it. Um, and you, if you're watching the show for the first time, you have no idea that one of the one of these random people is is going to die, and the other two are going to make it. It's Willow and Xander and Jesse, <laughs> by Eric, oh, played yeah, by Eric yeah. Balfour. Uh, the problem is that that Poor Jesse, Eric Balfour never quite never quite rebounded from that. He never makes it. Uh, <laughs> yes, you can go see him in Skyline, which is a terrible movie oh. that's out now. I think. Uh, and we every time we see him, and we're like, hey, it's Jesse. The guy who died in the first episode of Buffy. But the, the, the but the thing is, the point is, unlike the Shield, Jesse's death has no ramifications, and I always thought that was a little strange. Like Jesse was like Willow and Xander's best buddy, and he's never mentioned again. <laughs> and he doesn't show up in. A, I mean, maybe they couldn't get him, but he doesn't show up in alternate realities or flashbacks or anything. He's just. Yeah, and there, there would have been some great opportunities for that too. Yeah, yeah. So in the in the in the the, the doppelganger episode, the, I mean, the first. Yeah, absolutely. But instead, it's just you know, let's never speak of Eric Balfour again. So so sad. Anyway, He's just mad. Buffy, you know. So again, I I will go in my list of five, like the five best, uh, my my high fidelity like list of the top five all time TV shows. Buffy is number one with a big shiny star next. Number to one. It. Number one. It makes it makes me want to watch the whole series so I can argue with you. Number one. <laughs> I've seen a bunch of episodes, but number one. Number one. Number one. Uh, watch number one. See what you're thinking, but Max Headroom is number two. By the way. I was going to give you top five, maybe, but Max Max Headroom, Law and Lost is in there somewhere. But although Lost at one point was looking like it might slide in there at number one, no. Later seasons. Then the fifth season or the what a sixth season happened, and yeah, um, another podcast for that. So before we go to Firefly, which is the other Joss Whedon show I really wanted to talk about, and I know that John and, and Ren have a lot to say about it, we'll jump over Angel. Other than to say that for a show that was kind of. When I heard there was going to be an Angel spinoff, I kind of couldn't believe it. Because, like, really? That guy? You know, he was like Captain Handsome. He's, hey, I'm, oh, I'm a vampire and I'm moody. And it turns out David Boreanaz is actually a pretty good actor. And you know what? He was so good that, in fact, the first time I watched an episode of Bones, which was his later show. Yes. I thought it strange to see him in the daylight. And was like, isn't she? <laughs> yes. Isn't he even burst into flame? And, you know, for someone, I agree. I agree totally that he surprised me with how distinct 
those being the sort of major characters he has played to date, those two characters, they're very different. Um, and he does a very good job of portraying them as very different people. I thought Mickey might be kind of a one-trick pony, but I actually think that he's actually, he's pretty talented. Not yep. to mention, that show has one of my favorite character arcs of all time um, from a spinoff, uh, a character from, the, from uh, Buffy, which is uh, Wesley, one of the Watchers, who is one of my favorite characters because he goes from being uh, kind of, you know, your very stuck-up, pretentious, uh, nerdy type into a very different sort of character by the end of Angel. Absolutely. Um, and I love that progression for him. He is, it just, it's, and it's wrenching at times. Like, he goes through some truly awful things and, and does some truly awful things. Angel survived, what, five seasons? Five seasons. It was canceled midway through the fifth season, and so they basically got enough time to try and dig an ending out of it. I, I think the said, fifth, no, I think the fifth season was actually the 22nd episode. I don't think they lost any count. Um, no, they didn't, but they, they didn't know it was going to be yes. canceled until about halfway through the season, so they had to, like, scramble to try and put, like, wrap the entire series up. And they and they I, seem to not, really. They, they The act- ending is very abrupt and kind of deliberately so. Yes, but, and you're sort of um, led to believe that everybody's going to die, although you know they'll probably get out of it, except it doesn't come back, so who knows, maybe they did all die. Right, but, but and the, they didn't, it's also odd because it doesn't really link into the uh, Buffy Season 8 comics. Right. There is a comic book series that picks up for Angel after where it left off, but is not canon. And it's also so, terrible. Yes, um, but I will say Angel has some truly great standout episodes. I think the fourth. Um, I think the fourth season of Angel, which is this sort of like uh, uh, there's a there's a prophecy. Of course, there's always a prophecy, but it's like it's really dark, and there's and L.A. is going to kind of get pulled into hell, and and um, that fourth season of Angel, really great. I uh, see. I would argue that might be its weakest. Too. Oh, um, I think it has some that really season. great standout episodes, including uh, uh, one really fantastic episode. Where you, um, it's the whole thing is kind of a bait and switch, um, and it's kind of a major episode in terms of the progression of that yes. season. But there, I found the denouement of the season, like the the, the you, villain. In are you referring denouement. to the Raiders of the Lost Ark episode? Yes, yes. I am. Okay, there there is an episode where where it seems strangely like Raiders of the Lost Ark, and it turns out there's a reason for it. I'll, I'll, before we move on, one more thing I want to plug. One episode of Angel is Muppet. is Smile Time, which is yes. not written by Joss Whedon, but written by Ben Edlund, who did the Tick. And it is Angel gets turned into a wee little puppet man. A Muppet. Yeah. He's great. Oh, that's a great episode. Puppet Angel. Fantastic. Okay. Moving on out of the Buffyverse to the uh, what turned out to be really his biggest kind of failure and yet, I think, cult success, which is Firefly, the sci-fi show on the Fox network that got canceled midstream <laughs> and um, ended up getting picked up in a movie. How- how many of you watched it while it was on? I'm curious. I watched it when it was on. Me too. I did. I, I lived the horror in real time. In the terrible. What do you mean it's to, gone? No. To the point where what the last the last episode they aired was the was the pilot that they refused to run. Yeah. And and I watched that pilot and I thought to myself, one, why didn't they run this? It's great. Why didn't they make that the first episode out of the gate? Because it might have really, it was fantastic, and people might have really liked it if they had seen it. And two, I, I watched that pilot of, of of Firefly and thought to myself, um, this might be the best single thing that Joss Whedon has done. I mean, you know, I was that impressed with it. I, I watched it out of order as they aired it, um, and, yep. and you know, it was weird because I watched that first episode, which is the second episode, um, and I was very lukewarm on the show because 
you are sort of thrust into it without any idea of who these people are, of what they're doing, of why they're, how they're involved, what's the the bigger picture. Well, there's some shorthand, the right? But it's there's not... some shorthand, but it's not. You know what? Right, because yeah, they wrote I did, it I over a weekend like as a as a basically. It's not even the second episode. They actually. It is, they but they wrote it, it and inserted it to be like a fake pilot, and it's you know, yeah. And it's not; it has some good moments, but it's overall not a great episode, and it's certainly not a good first episode. Oh, absolutely! And it wasn't until I went back and rewatched it, like I again, like Jason, I saw the pilot and was like, "Well, that makes a lot of sense. That would have been <laughs> nice to know." <laughs> so I went back and rewatched it after the after the DVDs came out, all in order, and was just like, "Wow, okay." The, the second time through really solidified for me that it was a great show. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'd say when I was first watching it, I mean, I didn't even, I don't think I caught all of the episodes when I was first watching it when it was on television. Part one, because they just kept on scheduling them so weirdly. But I mean, the first, like, the, when I saw the second episode, the the fake pilot, so to speak, I was like, yeah, this is a, this is fun. And I was interested mainly because I like watching science fiction television shows. I mean, I watched The Lone Gunman, for Christ's sakes. But uh, I mean, I, I really wasn't, sold on it and i like as to the point where i didn't really go out of my way to watch the episodes it was just oh it's friday night hey look maybe an episode of firefly is on um but i ended up finding the box set like two years later and then going back and watching it i don't even think i saw the original pilot until i got my hands on the box set again and when i got the box set i watched it in order all the way through and it's it's astounding how much better the show is, even with like the little bits that they had to tweak and trim. And obviously they were working on budget and working on deadline and things like that. But it's still it's an astounding piece of work for 14 episodes. And there are two episodes that didn't that you couldn't have seen that are mm-hmm. on the box set because they didn't even well, air them. Old, yeah. Well, Which you is could have downloaded them. Baffling. Some of this us is did. True. I mean, and not only that, but for me, you know, I remember showing trying to convince my my uh, my best friend that. There's, there's net, you got to watch this show, right? And the, unfortunately, it took me like the entire length of the time it was on. So I basically <laughs> got him to watch the last episode, not the pilot, but the one with the uh, the bounty hunter, right? Um, and it's that kind a of a episode, weird though. episode. And it's very so, out of character for the show. Right. It's, it's still very great. out of character, and it's strange. And if you come into that, that's the only episode you see. I don't think it makes a very good impression because it's a very weird episode. And he was like, "That seemed very strange. I don't really get it." And I'm like, "No, you gotta trust me. The rest of this was way better." Yeah, he never trusted you again. No, no, he he eventually watched it and like and loved it. You know, as I knew that he would because he is a man of good taste. But at the same time, it was a it was made it harder to sell because he's oh that's that one weird show you made me watch that strange episode of. Well, I will say something about Firefly and that each episode does have a Joss Whedon maybe because he partially knew that the show might be doomed. He started playing with very interesting things in sort of encompassing single episodes. Like out of that's out of gas, right? The, is the Bounty Hunter one out of no, gas? No, no. no, that's uh, not out of gas. It's it's I don't remember what the name is. But I don't remember the title. His name is Jubal Early. Yes, I remember. I remember the character. Um, but I mean, out of gas is is a different but also equally viable for those. Yeah. The flashback episode where you have basically an entire, an entire, a very different narrative from the rest of the show. And the bounty hunter episode is a very different narrative and Ariel when they actually, you know, that Ariel, which is one of their biggest sort of budget episodes where they go down to, they go planet side and do a lot of, crazy, crazy antics, and you get sort of the bigger mythology there. I think Joss Whedon was playing with a lot of different things, which I found really interesting. 
John, you're a big uh, uh, Firefly supporter, right? Well, see, I I have to go back way back to the Buffy movie, I think, to explain my Firefly thing because I saw the Buffy movie. <laughs> I I don't even remember why I saw it. I, I think I might have even seen it in the theater. Who knows? Might have lost a bet. I saw, I, I, but I saw that, you know, some it was some silly throwaway thing, whatever. And then they were making a TV series of it. And I really, I said, they're making a TV series of that movie? It's ridiculous. So I didn't watch it. Uh, a bunch of people who I was friends with watched it. And they said, oh, you got to watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's a great show. Like, what are you talking about? I saw that movie. The television show is going to be worse than the movie. And I don't understand why you guys are watching it. So I had this anti-Whedon sentiment going that you know whedon is overhyped i don't understand what people see in this thing you know i would watch like half an episode and say no this is horrible this is like sweet valley high meets you know bad sitcom right oh you're wounding me i'm not saying this is true because i'm, I'm re-watching it now and i see that there's more to it but you know i'm just saying where i'm coming from sure and so i had no interest in whedon although i did see his name on the toy story credits i'm like hey there's that that buffy the vampire slayer guy um I saw it, I think it was like when it was on VHS or something or whatever, it was uh, maybe DVD even, but I started to put the pieces together. So when Firefly came out, I'm like, all right, Spaceships, Fox, I'll watch it, I'll give it a try. And I, I think it was, this was the very first episode, maybe I'm wrong about, uh, uh, yeah, I think it was the the first one that aired. I watched it, it was, you know, like I said, you don't really know who the characters are, uh, they do have a spaceship, they do spaceshipy kind of things, uh, but two things were kind of keeping me watching it. One was... Uh, uh, Nathan Fillion's charisma sort of comes off the screen. You're like, all right, that guy, I've never seen him before, but he seems to be fun. And I think at the very end of that episode, it's the one where he kicks the guy into the engine. Yep. Yes. That's a great scene. Yeah. So, so I'm watching this thing. I'm like, oh, goofy comedy. And he kicks the guy into the engine. And if I had been drinking something, I would have spit it all over the screen. <laughs> it just came out of left field. And, I'm, and this was kind of my clue that like, Whoever this guy is, he's not afraid of ridiculous tonal shifts. And like, like it's not going to be like one kind of show. Like, you know, for example, the X Files. It had a certain mood, and that was what the show was about. And it had a certain sensibility. This guy was willing to go from like, you know, uh, corny drama to weird sci-fi to ridiculous slapstick humor in like, you know, in two seconds. And and as you'd see later in in uh, some of the other work and everything, he's he's willing to go right from like, uh, you know comedy and and the absurd right into like ghastly and dramatic and like you know heart-wrenching within like two seconds um yeah. dr horrible so that, does that like oh yeah exactly. dr. Like 50, horrible is 50 the one that times in 40 minutes yeah yeah no. twist the knife at the end so that's what made me say i'm gonna keep watching the show because i don't know whatever whoever this guy is i still didn't have any interest in buffy but i said he's he's unpredictable he's not doing what i think he's gonna do in this show um and then of course you start watching you get into the characters and you see that he continues doing that. And I was thinking, hmm, is Buffy like this? Is this why everybody loved Buffy? Now, going back and watching Buffy, so far, I'm, I'm almost through with season one. I still don't quite see any of that Firefly magic in Buffy. Maybe the seeds of it are there, but I'll keep watching and see how it goes. But Firefly was just, uh, you know, it was just confounding my expectations at every turn. And it had spaceships. And like that episode with the bounty hunter, I love that one because that bounty hunter was nuts. Like that character was, was ridiculous. Oh, like, am I a lion? <laughs> the, whole, the whole episode was ridiculous and strange and like you know sometimes life is ridiculous and strange and it's like sure I, I, i'll go with that like if they had a musical serenity episode uh, firefly episode maybe i wouldn't have gone along with that but maybe i would have like i think he could he could go in any direction so he could pull it off i was just insanely addicted to that show because not only was i desperate for sci-fi but here was a sci-fi show that was just you know interesting and great and the characters were wonderful and it's the kind of show it's where the more you watch it it seems a lot longer than it's 14 episodes but the more you watch it the more you just want to see more of those characters um i think and so i think part of it is that it's amazing to me like clearly how tight-knit 
the the relationship between all the all the actors and and then the crew and everything is because it's still I mean be, as such a cult show it still keeps cropping up I mean I love the fact that on Nathan Fillion's current show Castle where he plays a you know uh, uh, a thriller writer um, there have been at least two or three episodes with references to Firefly including the one that aired this past week. In which he whips out some Chinese, and when asked how he knows Chinese, <laughs> oh, this show I used to watch. You know, it's it's. I find that like clearly, as even as an actor, he, he it was not just a job for a lot of these guys who are on this show because they still go to conventions and they talk about it, and there's all sorts of you know you see them turn up in stunt casting. I thought it was funny that on the same night that they have a Firefly reference on Castle, um, the show that airs opposite on NBC, Chuck which has Adam Baldwin, who played Jane on Firefly, had a guest star of Summer Glau, who played River on Firefly. Like, they clearly, you know, all this stuff keeps, is sort of sticks around in some way. There's a lot of lasting impact from Does a show that Does that make that you sad, though? It does in some ways. Like, I wish there was more, but I guess part of it, like, you know, felt like, it felt to me like if the stars ever aligned, all those people would be like, yeah, I'll totally be there, you know, to do something Yeah, but else they're going to get old. Really like, I mean, in some sense, it's nice that it died young and that it never got to go through that, that you know, where, you know, all these shows kind of go off the cliff around season five or six or seven when they run out of things to do or yep. they kill the main character or whatever they want to do. But this just had one, one short season. And I just feel like it was too early. And to see, the, you know, to see these same actors like Nathan Fillion, like, he, like I said, he's got like charisma that just jumps he's so off great. the screen at you oh. and smacks you in the face, right? And every time he's seems like, you should not be in this show about the writer. You're not, that's not who you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> and yet he elevates, and yet he elevates that show. By, he does. By, by his I'm sure he does, but it's just like, like, you know, these people are wasted. And he's like, Chuck, you know, the, the, the character, he's wasted there. But compare his character on Chuck to what, to Jane. Like, it is a very disappointing I mean, character, by, but I, he is yet, he still has a place in my heart. I'll I know, say. but it just makes because it's Adam Baldwin. Episodes is not enough. <laughs> I saw him on show. I saw him on a show where he played a total and utter like straight man, um, which was the Tim Minear show, uh, The Inside, I believe, which did not last very long. Tim Minear, who worked on Firefly, um, and that was very disappointing in that regard. Yeah, it's, the cast is kind of amazing for Firefly, and and Fillion. I mean, Fillion is such a huge part of that. He he is. He is like Han Solo, basically. I mean, he's that kind of character where he's like, he's got all those pieces and he's got the layers and he's got the gruff outside. And, you know, it, and he just, always, he always shoots first. Yes. He always <laughs> shoots first. Exactly. Until they do the, the revisited version of Firefly. And he wasn't just like the unlikable, like, like Han Solo is like unlikable, but you know, he's really likable. Mal was sometimes unlikable and just plain unlikable, you know, yeah. like some, when yeah. he did things that were unlikable, he wasn't like, oh, we really know you're a sweetheart. No, he did mean things he I mean, stood like, by them. Like, you re- like you really believe he would have put jane out the airlock like yes. i was 100 percent saying yep he's gonna kill him that's yeah, it absolutely. i mean it was it was 100 percent in character i totally believed he would do it the fact that he didn't didn't feel bad or anything to me but it, like they had established that character to the point where it was any other show threat, you'd be like right yeah any other show you know it's not gonna happen and, and but and one of his shows and you know even with that much you know with just a couple episodes under the belt you're like yep he could do that i could see it happening and i had never even seen buffy and known that you know other characters kill other characters you know that's the um those fourteen episodes I think you make a, a good point, John. It it feels to me almost like not quite like uh they had three seasons and if and and you know, somebody they were deleting the tapes and only fourteen episodes could be picked. But it does feel like in those fourteen episodes they, they showed sort of all the different uh ways you could play that show. Because they are so the v- episodes are so varied. 
And that's not bad. For a first season, when you usually think about it, usually the first season of a show, it's just getting its sea legs, right? I mean, you, you very rarely say, oh, that first season was the best, right? You, that never happens. It's always the second or the third or the fourth, uh, which on one level makes me think, imagine what Firefly could have ended up being. On another that's level, right. it's sort of like maybe it's maybe this was just a different kind of shape of a show and they, they figured it out and left a beautiful corpse. Well, I mean, we really didn't even get to the mythology. I mean, there's only a couple yeah, they, of episodes. They did, they did blue hands like two or three times. You're like, I guess that's going to be the arc, and it's over. And then, well, and then the movie, basically. The movie yeah, is the arc know, compressed the into a movie. Yeah, the, that was also kind of depressing. Like, the movie bothered me, and, you know, it, I guess the tone was like the series, but, like, when they had the character die at the end, I mean... If that had happened at the end of a season, I would have felt more okay with it. But in the movie, it's like, eh, you know, you're, you're right. It was compressed. It was everything squished down, everything kind of rushing around. But a lot of that that show, that, what was nice about that show was the that you got to stretch stuff out. That a lot of episodes didn't have that much take place. It was mostly just characters talking a little bit, doing something, you know. And then the movie, they just had to jam it all in. Got to go here, got to go there, we're on this planet, do that. This is in danger. That's this person. This is this conspiracy. And it's over. I did love that movie, though. I have to say, I I, I left that movie. Yeah, my no, wife I and I looked so. at each other and said, "That is what I want out of a sci-fi movie. I want a ride. I want a thrill ride. I want some fun and some scary and some action. And then I want to get out of there and be like, boy, that was fun. And I haven't I haven't left a, a movie with that kind of feeling. I remember walking out of there thinking, when was the last time I walked out of a sci-fi movie? This exhilarated. Was it was it one of the Star Wars movies? I mean, it had been a long time since I'd, I'd experienced a movie, a sci-fi movie, that had really hit that all those notes like how uh, Serenity did. The new Star Trek was kind of like that, too. But yeah, I, I feel I that... Second that. The, yeah, yeah. Well, that was later. I saw that later. Yes. <laughs> right, right. Wait, no, you didn't see you didn't that first? Travel in Time? You yeah. didn't see it in a parallel universe where it came out first? I, I I came unstuck in time, sadly. I I, I I know. So you keep bringing it back to Lost, but it's not even in your top two. I was going with Kurt Vonnegut, actually, Philistine. Oh, all right, okay. <laughs> but okay. So. This is not. The What's that guy's one. name again? Scott Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> Billy Pilgrim versus the world. He has to fight the nine evil Trafalmadorians. Ah, uh, good times. I just watched that movie, by the way, Scott Pilgrim. So now I can movie. talk about it if we did a podcast about it. It is a good yeah, movie. Yeah, only yeah, we were supposed to do a podcast about that like six months ago, man. Come on. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. It never came together, though. Because I don't see movies. Ever. So, uh, I, I don't. So Dr. Horrible uh, was the weird uh, kind of uh, let's do a thing during the writer's strike that uh, is on the internet and we own it, basically. And so it's Joss Whedon and his brothers and his his brother's uh, fiance at the time and uh they got a great cast and on a shoestring budget they shot something that actually looked pretty good and yeah. um was a musical again going back to the musical roots and also was a a genre kind of piece because it's about sort of superheroes and and as we said earlier kind of runs the gamut in 45 minutes it's essentially the length of it's three acts but it's the length of like a one tv episode of comedy and tragedy and just heart i mean it's got a it's got a turn in the last literally two seconds that it just rips your heart out um you know neil patrick harris again the the the, uh, people who i don't know how much of it is him is joss whedon finding good actors to work with and at this point how many good actors want to work with joss whedon but um you know great role by uh from neil patrick harris and of course nathan fillion is turning on the smarm as uh, captain hammer 
he just manages and, to match people so well, either match match actors with characters or characters with actors. He just has this natural charisma that just draws people in. And it makes really a, a family of actors and a family of characters. And uh, but that's, I think that's his show in general, you know, but, um, Dr. Horrible is just, Dr. Horrible may be my, like it's tied with Firefly for me as one of the, my favorite things that Joss Whedon's ever done because I discovered Dr. Horrible quite by accident. Um, You know, I, I saw, I found out about it when part two had aired because when they were first, when they were doing it, they were doing this as like a viral three part thing where they're like, all right, we're going to release part one uh, on a Monday and we're going to release part two on a Wednesday and part three on a Friday. And you have to tune in. And at that point, I don't think, Hulu either Hulu hadn't yet been or had just been announced and was like yeah, brand new started. service. It had just yeah. started because they had, it, like, they had it on their own site too. It was on Hulu yeah. and also whatever. It was the, it was the on their site. site. It was on Hulu and then they managed to get it on iTunes as well. And it's and it was really amazing how that kind of worked out because they originally just kind of gone for broke and they're like, no, we're just going to put it on QuickTime. And I followed this, like once I got into, once I watched part two, which I watched first, and then I went back and watched part one and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is why everybody's talking about it. And I went back and like obsessively researched like how much it had been made for and how they had set this all up. And they really just kind of did it on a whim as just kind of a, we're bored and I don't, and Joss Whedon was like, I'm unencumbered by projects and his Felicia Day, who was a friend of his, was like, yeah, I'm unencumbered by projects, too. Let's do something. Because she had – I think she had been doing – has she been doing the Guild at that point? I think she, like, just I think, finished. Uh, I think it, it had yeah. just started or something. Just, either just started or just wrapped season one or something like that. And so they just kind of collaborated together. And what started at this, as this kind of informal project where they just – they asked everybody to basically work on promise of future pay and, and – profit sharing basically. And they pulled in a bunch of favors, like all of the outdoor stuff in Dr. Horrible is done on the Paramount lot because Joss Whedon managed to convince a friend of his on the Paramount lot to let them in for 10 hours so they could just shoot you, everything. You can really kind of tell that too, but oh. Oh, yeah. a lot. You're like, Hmm. Yes. Yeah, so Taylor was hit by a car right over there. <laughs> but I mean, it's, Part of the reason why I think I love it so much is just the scrappy nature of it. You know, it just it's something that otherwise it, it's very campy, like B movie campy, but in a really admirable way where it doesn't feel low budget. It just feels like, you know, th- like the scrappy up and comer who's trying to make his way in the world and you really respect it. I don't know. They should use it in like screenwriting classes because, like I said, there's so many different genres in there. There's the corny comedy, there's the superhero genre, there's like tragedy, there's this musical, right? But every one of those elements is better than entire shows that focus on that particular element. Their musical numbers are better than other musical numbers on TV. Their comedy is better than complete comedy shows, you know what I mean? And I guess it's just good writing, good actors, but since it's so small and compressed and absurd and you don't have to do all this exposition connecting the dots and stuff because the story kind of is very simple... Every little one of those scenes, like you have the, the comedy monologue in the beginning with no laugh track. He knocks it out of the park. Anyone who's studying on how to do that, watch that scene. Figure it out, right? The musical parts where you want to have a musical number that fits in with the story. I mean, not that he's Rodgers and Hammerstein or whatever, but watch his musical numbers. He, he, he gets the job done, right? With actors who generally can't sing, except for Neil Patrick Harris, who also does musicals. But, uh, you know, it's such a study in... It's kind of almost showing off, like... You know, every genre that you could possibly have in a show, I'm going to do all of them in 45 minutes, all better than you could possibly do them, and here it is, and the whole thing still holds together. And it's no budget, and it's on the internet. 
yeah, and it just blows you away. And I watched it for free live on the days that he put that out. Yeah, same here. Yeah, we're just going to give it away. I bought the the DVD because I figured, at the very least, I liked it so much that I I wanted to support them and give them something back for it because I did like it. So I, I did end up buying the DVD. Well, and they managed to make all their money and quite a lot more from it, which was fantastic. Yeah. Which yeah, is, I think everyone, anyone who was a Firefly fan owns that DVD. I think every time I go over someone's house, I'm shocked to see the Doctor Horrible DVD on their shelves. You know, it's and they're like, going to be all got it. and won an Emmy. They they made an Emmy category basically the web for series. Yeah, don't you love it when they make a category for you to keep you out of competition with the worst shows that are real shows? Well, I, I actually actually I don't think it. otherwise would have been eligible, John, since it never actually aired on television. <laughs> I know, but I'm just saying, like it's like <laughs> the level of game is so high that like, well, but this is some internet thing. We have to compartmentalize it or perhaps not even exo- acknowledge its existence. You know? Well, I think they they well, wanted to me. seem cooler by acknowledging its existence and and saying, no, you're part of our industry now. Even though yeah, you we're, did we're topical, uh, we're topical. Yeah, Believe but um, I think they are going to do another Doctor Horrible at some point. Although all those people, it's in so the works. Busy, but, but they, it sounds like this is their hobby, basically on the side. Although there are rumors that it might actually be a, a film that they might actually do a whole thing instead of kind of going back to the internet. I, I, I'm curious about how they'll end up doing it, and if they do it in, as another web series, or or if they do uh, get more budget and do it as something bigger. But it was, you know, it. it, it I, I had no expectations for it going into it, and I was really surprised. Although, I'm going to fire off the spoiler horn now. Oh, there it is. There's that sound. So, at the end of Dr. Horrible, he kills Penny. Um, and that was really controversial, and I'm just kind of curious what you guys thought about it. I, I'm used to Joss Whedon killing people and having it be sad, and not everything has to be feel-good. But I know that a lot of people were really upset. Who was upset by that? That, that makes the show. I will tell you who is upset by that because I, I liked it. And again, I like Jason. I'm familiar enough with Joss Whedon that I kind of, you know, it was unexpected, but it was not after the fact. It was not like a, how could he do that? It was like, a, oh, that's Joss Whedon for you. Uh, I convinced my mom to watch this and she wow. loved it all the way up through that <laughs> because not she was not approved. ready for that. And it was not yeah, She, I mean, she loved the rest of the thing. She loved all the, the comedy and the musical. And I, like, I think she was very impressed with the writing and all of that, you know, and it's a, it's a fairly hard sell for me to tell my mother, like, watch this thing on the internet. It's great. Trust me. Um, and yeah, I think well, she kind of felt like the rug got pulled out from her at the end there because she doesn't necessarily always like sad endings. <laughs> I think we all have mother stories, and I feel like it's our job never to be that mother. Like, for instance, my mother – one of my favorite movies ever is uh, Goodfellas, So my mother cannot watch it because of the language. Too, the language is too bad. Hmm. That's all she sees in that movie. All she sees is a bunch of really? F-words. Joe Pesci's brains getting splattered across right, the no, no, room. It's not the so language. Bad. You just can't watch the language. Just, they just curse too much. It's unrealistic. So your mother yes. with the, <laughs> it's the, unrealistic. Uh, right. The monsters are people don't. No one Catholics. curses that much. This movie, that they potty mouth. <laughs> so yeah, the know. guy hanging in a frozen truck like a slab of meat. That's so, not the so, problem. So let us all vow never to be that person when our children try to show us something from the hollow webs on our uh, hollow bands or whatever. To say, man, I look forward like to the hollow webs. It's gonna be great. Yeah, super great. Worst hollow show ever. <laughs> You're not putting the implants in right. God, don't you know how to do anything, Dad? <laughs> I mean, there were a lot of talk that uh, it's like, oh, Joss Whedon's killing another woman character and he's so misogynistic, which I had to laugh about. It's because Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon is he's like the least misogynistic person. I mean, but he does like tormenting his characters. And, and, and when you think about it from a, 
I mean, yes, emotionally it was so it was so gut wrenching because you're you're you, you know you're hoping for a happy ending, right? And oh, he's going to reveal his love for her and she's going to figure it out. And yet, when you look back, it's like, well, what did we just see? We just saw the origin of Doctor Horrible as a supervillain. This is what happened. Of course, he doesn't get the girl because how do you make a supervillain out of this it's guy who's kind the of a schmuck? Evil. It's called the League of yeah. Evil. In the beginning, they sing to you, "A murder would be nice." You know, it's not like it's not. It's in the plot of the show. It's not. You know, it's the. By the way, it's the evil League of Evil. Yes. By the way, they uh, did because emphasis. there's another League of Evil, and they're not so evil. He's a bad yeah. horse. He's a very bad horse, and literally a horse. He's, yeah, that was that was another great scene where they show the actual horse standing. Like I don't even know how they got that on their budget. An actual horse stand, standing in some studio. Yeah. I mean, to be perfectly honest, I think the shocking part of that show is not that he kills Penny. It's the last two seconds where you get, you know, you get this big yeah. uplifting or uplifting evil song where he's like, now I have everything. Like, I turned evil. Yeah, now I have everything. You know what? I feel nothing. I can go forward and I don't feel. And then it cuts to him in a sweatshirt sitting in front of his camera looking very sad a thing. And it's the most heart wrenching thing. It's like there, yep. there you realize that, oh, the death has hit him. Yeah, you could also do that as the whole thing was just a big, you know, allegory for he did something horrible in his real life that has nothing to do with superheroes, and he's reimagined it in terms of uh, supervillains and superheroes. You know what I mean? Like, you could do all sorts wow. of stuff with that final scene. You know what I mean? You just blew my mind, John. You just <laughs> well, blew my I, I, mind. Of course, if they're going to continue the series with him actually as a supervillain, then it's harder to go with that. But in a standalone, you can appreciate it on that level pretty easily. You know, there's a Buffy episode where she wakes up in a mental institution and they tell her that everything that she's that's the show is just her dream and her parents are still alive and are still together and are still happy and everybody's uh, everybody's good. And, and that's an episode where, in the end, she... Um, insists on making that decision between the red pill and the blue pill and going back to the show that you could totally read it as being um that this entire show is the fantasy of a crazy girl well and of course there is a show there's an episode also where there it is quite legitimately the fantasy of a of someone of a crazy guy <laughs> which um, jonathan oh yeah well that's true too so so yeah they they so okay, John, I'll I'll go with that. That's an interesting read. I had never really read that before. I just it's just I, I'm such not a, saying that's meant to be the primary message, no. but you read it that it fits 100 percent with the show if you decide to interpret it that way. Uh, I I don't think that that was the intention though. But I do love the fact that yes, the, that the message really there is that um, behind everybody who turns into an evil supervillain, um, you know, if you apply a little bit of humanity to it, what you get is that something you know something awful happened to make them that way. I mean, it kind of reminds me pretty good with his bad guys in the show. We talked about people. I mean, who we talked about it on a uh, previous podcast, but it kind of reminds me of Unbreakable in that sense. Yeah, a, a little bit. Although the Unbreakable guy was kind of, I don't. I feel like uh, Joss draws his evil characters not as if they're better. But getting back to the bounty hunter, the bounty hunter is clearly nuts, right? But mm -hmm. in his own way, he's like a likable character. But you can see that like. There's something off about him. So it feels like if you saw this person in real life, this could be a kind of person who goes around hijacking ships and killing people. And is he a bad person? He's probably just crazy and needs and, and is mentally disturbed. But that's the type of pe person who would do this. It's not somebody who's perfectly well adjusted, but just for some reason has their switch on the on their backs at the evil. You know. Well, she would tell Ijafor in um, in uh, Serenity, the the operative in Serenity. Right. He he's not a he, he's the bad guy and he's a real badass and he kills lots of people but he's actually not a bad guy he's just kind of doing his job he's got his own yeah. little moral code and his own yeah. you know 
thing that he. That he I love that. Do. Well, Whedon loves to write those characters. I mean, to touch on Dollhouse for a bit, there's a lot of that going on in Dollhouse. <laughs> we were going to talk oh, about oh, yeah. Dollhouse, but I, then I we was got gonna, I was gonna our, our podcast got ended prematurely. Yeah, <laughs> mm. I was saying that by the time I finished watching Doctor Horrible and Firefly, I was 100 percent on board the Whedon train. And so when Dollhouse came out, and you know, was not very good in various ways, I just kept watching it. Was like. You you have greatness in you. This is not it. You know, yeah, but then you get I, to the end of season one and you see a show, an episode like Epitaph One, which oh, actually yeah, yeah. is like, why wasn't the entire show yeah, like so, this? So, well, he would do that. It would like say, yeah, that there's in there is a good show, but there's this other show around no, it that I don't like. No, the, in in there there isn't a good show. I think my my take on on uh, Dollhouse is that Dollhouse was a terrible premise of a show with some questionable what? casting choices. That was done by a lot of talented people who tried their best to figure out how what, how they could make it a show. And some of the episodes are better than others, and it got a little bit of momentum in the end of the first season. But in the end, I just, you know, it left me cold, and I, I couldn't help watching it without thinking, you really should be doing something else. And although I know some people celebrated when it got picked up for that second year... Um, I, I really was sad when it got picked up because I, I thought that was like yet another eight months where Joss Whedon was going to be chained to this thing that was quite frankly beneath him and that he would be better off finding something else to do with his time because you know, I just thought it was so well, It's poor. like a degree of difficulty, though. It would be like Steve jo- if Steve Jobs went to HP. It's like the place is a train. The place is a train wreck, right? It's like, but yeah, I'm Steve Jobs. I can make this work. And you like, and he would try to find it's a like, way. No. And like halfway in there, there'd be some awesome HP product. He'd be like, yeah, that's the good. Oh no, it's back to printers and crap, right? Like, I, I, that's what Dollhouse I, was. You're, you're right. I thought there was, was a- there's definitely a lot of moments that were that made it redeeming. I thought the end of the first season was good. I thought starting through around the middle of the second season, through the end of that season, there was a lot of promise. They picked up some truly fantastic talent in. Pretty much all of the secondary characters. It's unfortunate that the main character uh, <laughs> was not premise, great. Right? Let, let's take Elijah Dushku, who isn't a very good actress, quite honestly, and is kind of a one-note and, character. And you have to play yeah. fifty characters, and, right? and we'll build. She's the wrong person for that role. Yeah. Plus, plus, it's very hard to ever relate to the character because she's getting her stuff kind of uploaded and downloaded, and there are ways that they try to work around that. But again, it comes uh, back to the fact that it's Elijah Dushku. If the show not had not great. been all about her. Then, if it had been I mean, about the now, secondary characters, because if it had the, been... the whole organization and the characters who are involved in it, um, I think there's another great example of character progression in taking the character of Topher, who who you, you starts out as yeah, basically yeah. kind of an amoral good. jerk. He gets the best arc in the show because by the end of the show, he you know you really do get to the point again where and again having the the you know characters getting killed off who you who you don't think are going to get killed off, and he. I don't know. He gets to a point where I find him incredibly empathetic now, as a character. Not to blow your mind again, Dan, but there's some people who believe that the character of Topher, who, of course, puts these histories into the lives, into the, he's basically making characters uh, when he loads them up with their personalities, that Topher, with his wide cr- eyes cracking and with his job, is Joss Whedon. And it's Joss Whedon commenting on what it's like to be a writer and controlling these characters and making them do things. Yeah, but then he calls the end of the world. I don't think Joss has those same uh, worries. <laughs> you never know. Writing a, writing a bad show about uh, robo prostitutes, he's going to end the world. <laughs> I don't know. I think I think sometimes Joss sits, Whedon has the power. Sits there. And I I do think it he could, sometimes wonders what am, am I actually making the world a better place in in what I'm doing my talent. I I, I wouldn't be surprised if there is some of that in there actually. 
I like the fact and that, that and the was, the was off-putting in ways. Like, because there's things in it, like the whole prostitution angle oh, yeah. and the characters. A lot of it was off-putting, and I like the fact that the show was willing to bother you. Like, it wasn't a clear like, oh, let's latch onto the hero because they're all good and these are all bad. Everybody... Let's do a show about human trafficking. And in fact, the 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 character who you come into thinking as is the most sort of trustworthy, reliable, <laughs> yeah, moral character the, yeah. on the show ends up <laughs> being the bad guy. And that's that's in a, a lovely bit twist of, of fate. Yeah, that that was a moment where I thought, I don't know if I buy that. <laughs> Did you but, see the big like alternate? En- what the heck was the name of that? The alternate ending episode where they're in the super duper future where everyone's got stuff attached to their head. Yeah, epi- and epitaph it goes two. off the rails. Yeah, I kind of dug that, that. I kind of dug that. That was another interesting. It was it was a better show that than the one that they actually made. <laughs> So what else do we uh, have to say about Joss Whedon? I mean, we've kind of we kind of covered uh, all the we all the talk bits. About the Avengers, the Avengers, yeah. What an interesting yeah. choice. I mean, he made a run at doing Wonder Woman, and he wrote a bunch of screenplays, and he never apparently the studio never wanted what he wanted to give them, which isn't surprising, honestly. Which is a, probably a That's good a movie. theme. Yeah. That's yeah. Well, I mean, look at his work. That's going to be a girls kick ass movie, and I think that would have been a great movie to make. And I, I wonder if the the um, uh, studio didn't really want that. I, I don't know. Um, but but the Avengers, which is interesting because it doesn't have very many women in it. I think it's got Scarlett Johansson as the Black yeah. Widow in mm. it. That's a and that's a tough thing, mm. especially in a in a film that is going to be a large sort of ensemble piece. That's really you know you have all these people who are basically expected to carry their own movies, and then you're combining all of them into a movie. Like that's a well. He's got the he's got the whole to... he. He has been successful in integrating, um, uh, maybe not movies, although although Serenity does this to a certain degree. These ensemble pieces, right? I mean, he has done that in all of the shows that. But, he's yeah, done. but there's a difference between. Yeah, but th- those are unknowns, though. Piece. Right. Exactly. The ensemble. I'm talking about ensemble pieces. Now he's got Robert Downey combine, Jr. Like, yeah, and Chris you know, Evans and movie Samuel stars, Jackson, basically. And, yeah. But I wouldn't say that he's ever treated like his the, unknowns but. as anything less than movie stars. You know, I, I would say that he writes he writes his ensemble pieces where everybody is just as important as everybody else. Right, but but do they do that? The actors, I think, uh, people who aren't like you know, a level actors, Tom Cruise level. I carry the whole movie. My name is on top of the marquee. I think they work better together because none of them expects to be carrying the movie. Whereas if you put a bunch of top dogs in the same movie together, sometimes you get this weird vibe, you know? Yeah. But I would also argue that the top dogs in the Avengers are only really recent movie stars in their own right. I mean, you look in the last 10 years, Robert Downey Jr. has been slowly climbing, you know, to greatness. Back out of the but- hole. Yeah, but five, I mean, you know, you have you have some of his great indie stuff. And I mean, even even like I mean, two years ago, he was still doing Harley Pe- I mean, he yes. is the voice of Mr. Peanut now. Yes, he is. He is clearly a big deal now. But I would say that he still he's not. I don't think he has the big head that somebody say like Tom. Have Bruce you seen him as Mr. Peanut? Because he who controls Mr. Peanut controls the world. <laughs> So you're saying that once you become Mr. Peanut, you basically give over all rights to human sanity. Mr. Peanut, just, yeah, yeah. That that is you've you've hit your peak and and possibly jumped the shark. There's no there's one. no way to go but down once there's you're Mr. No Peanut. There's no way to go but down when you're Mr. Peanut. So so uh, what I'll say about the future of Joss Whedon, Avengers aside, and I think it's great that he's doing a feature. And I know that I mean his story of his career is control, right? I mean he did Buffy on TV because he realized that the showrunner of a TV series actually got to control unlike his work as a screenwriter. And now he's writing and directing the Avengers. What I would make a plea for, for his next, uh, for his next big work, 
because uh, his movie work is pretty good, but it's of a different kind than his TV work. He's a good TV showrunner. Uh, so I put in a plea. Come on, Joss. Let's see a uh, cable show uh, where mm. you don't need to have a broad audience because you're not yes. that guy. And I think he's admitted he's not that guy. He's a cult audience guy. So go on. Get a show on FX or AMC or HBO yeah. oh, or Showtime. God, I... I don't really care where it is. I think a basic cable show with 13 episodes a year would be fantastic. Uh, so I hope that that's the next TV project we see from him because that could be successful and run like Buffy I mean, and Angel did. Not only that, but like, you know, a, a Joss Whedon show on FX could be, a, you know, a tentpole for that kind of network, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Oh, it would be fantastic. And right. I mean, Fox and its parent neighborhood, uh, Fox and its parent, you know, short networks have always been willing to kind of embrace crazy off the wall content. They've just not been very good about keeping it there. Because I mean, you look at all of the shows that Fox greenlets every year that just kind of fall, you know, that that are really Im- impressive, scary concepts that just don't have the audience share for it. Right? They need eight you million audience, eight million audience members, and they they can't get it, and then you're yeah. off the Fox network. But on on, but on cable, FX, yeah, hmm. exactly. Yeah, I, I hope he doesn't. I hope he does his own material too, because Avengers fine, you know. But I, I feel like the, there are shackles for licenses that he doesn't need, because I think oh, he's yeah. proven that he can come up with his own IP that's that's just as good or better than any of that old. Like he doesn't need yeah. that crutch. At all, um, and, and maybe Dollhouse is a counterexample because I think he came up with Dollhouse on his own, and it was kind of a mess. Yeah, but he kind wise, of, but. I think he did that sort of like on the back of a napkin with Elijah Dushku at a lunch, and then kind of got himself in over his yeah. head. And it was, I mean, there's a whole story there. I, so, so my other point I wanted to make when you're looking at these Twilight movies and all these other kind of vampire stuff that's out there in the culture, I had and there's been talk of the the people who produced the original Buffy movie making a new Buffy movie. I do think there that it, there is still time. In the next five years, if they if if Joss Whedon wanted to revisit Buffy the Vampire Slayer with the actors that he had, he could probably still do it. Um, and I wouldn't mind that honestly. I think that if he had a story to tell, I mean, he's telling it in the comics, but you know, if and and season eight has been pretty. I've I've enjoyed it yeah. immensely. Yeah, Buffy season eight, the comic has been pretty good. But I could see him going to a season nine or a, you know doing a movie or something that would. Yeah, there is a season, season nine coming. Leaves off. Actually, the, there's a season nine coming in the comics, but uh, they're doing it differently. My, uh, I want my share. Then they're going to do it. Share of that idea. They're doing it as um instead of doing it as one comic that runs over like four years, they're doing it in a in a controlled burst. It's going to be like a two year long thing, and it's going to have multiple comics in the story arc. So it's going to be more like the Marvel universe has a bunch of different comics. As, it's going to be fans. harder for me to collect. Is that what you're telling me? Yes. Gosh darn it. Yeah. I know. Uh, that just makes me angry. Anyway, but yes. Incidentally, uh, apropos of nothing, I was just flipping through uh, the Avengers, and they have a shot of Joss Whedon at Comic Con this year. And I think, actually, I think I could do a pretty good job of passing for Joss Whedon. You're, you have some... He's got a beard now. He's got sort of a reddish beard and got, the like, shiny head. You do look kind of similar. Hair. I was looking at the Wikipedia page, and I'm saying, yeah, I think I can. Like I, I might use that somehow. Is there some way I can capitalize on? I that? don't think there is. No, that's unfortunate. No. Comic Con next. Uh, you need to put on a lot of weight. I think. Yeah. Start with. Yeah, that. about thirty. Yeah, you need. Yeah. Well, you just get a little, one of those, uh, you know, kind of uh, strap-on ponches. That's a, yeah, like also, a write a couple belly. of hit TV shows. That helps too. Yeah, I'm, that, I'm, would help. that sounds like a lot. Of, that sounds a lot like work, John. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about that. Well, then just go with the weight first. There we go. There we go. I can just I can eat Twinkies and done. The fame will come. Brilliant. Well, for a podcast that um, started late and has gone into the night, it's like three in the morning now. Um, yeah. we, I think that I think that went pretty well. So I want to thank my guests who I who I basically uh, told to come and then didn't show up. So I'm glad that they stuck with me. Um, 
thank you for being here, John Syracuse. You're very welcome. Ren Caldwell, thank you. Thank you, Jason. And uh, Mr. Ever-Present, Dan Morin. Well, we got another one of these right after this, too. Yeah, let's just, we just ki- we'll just kick right into that one and start talking about what's the subject of that one. I don't know, but whatever. Just you know, tell me something and pull my string. I'll keep going. <laughs> I didn't know you had the string in the back. That explains I everything. It explains a lot. That's why I repeat a lot of phrases. Uh, That's why I repeat a lot of phrases. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks uh, for listening to the Incomparable Podcast. I, I can't believe you made it to the end. Good night. This has been the Incomparable Podcast. Visit us at theincomparable.com. 